Amen. Let's stand together for the reading of God's word. I think there was a mix-up in regards to wonders of worship. I saw mass confusion in the back and lots of kids come back in. So it looks like there isn't wonders of worship this morning. And so if your child didn't come back, maybe go to the back and look for them. Uh, Looks like we'll all be here worshiping together this morning. We just sang, may the word of God dwell richly. That's what we ask for now as we come to God's word. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verses 16 through 21. It's page 966 on the, in the Pew Bible. Hear God's word. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us, We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is God's word. Amen. Let's take our seats. Well, College Church, good morning. It's good to see you and welcome the children back to church as well. Glad you're, uh, you're here. I'm trying to think of another illustration that might be more applicable for you, but we'll see if we get to that. But nevertheless, it's good to be here. Uh, I, I have the privilege of serving next door at Wheaton College, both as a member of the faculty, but they're leading the Billy Graham Center. Uh, but my, my most important thing for here is I'm a friend of Josh, and so it's good to have Josh invite me over. Uh, Josh and I do several things. One of the things we do is we go to movies. He always texts when there's a British movie and that we should go see, because I don't think any of you want to go to him with him to British movies. So I said, I'll go with you. So the last one we went to was Dunkirk, and he was so excited about Dunkirk and about the movie, and I really broke my heart to point out to him that Dunkirk is largely a movie about the largest British retreat and defeat in history. But they heroically retreated and were defeated nevertheless. So that, it was interesting just to watch his, his uh, British upper lip in the midst of all of that. But good to be here and good to, so, so thankful for College Church. I live just four blocks down the road, so thankful for the ministry and the mission here, just a long legacy and an ongoing engagement in mission, and so, so thankful for all that you do. We're going to talk from 2 Corinthians chapter 5 today. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is our text. If you don't have a Bible, we encourage you to get one right there in, in the seat in front of you, page 966. I'm actually going to go directly from one of the Pew Bibles, so page 966 is our text today. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It's already been read. So let me just give a little overview of what's going on here. Paul's writing to a church at a place called Corinth. It's a church that had become divided and in many ways corrupt. They're wrapped up in many different things that aren't glorifying the Lord. And Paul had to write to rebuke them more than once and to admonish them more than once. And in this rebuke or admonishment, Paul encourages them to represent Jesus and his kingdom well, the implication being 
Uh, They were not doing so. They're far from fulfilling this. And so I think, as we hear, Paul speaks with the authority and strength of his language. It's evident as we read it. I think 2,000 years later, it can also speak to us today. So four things I want to look at today. Let me just tell you the outline before we go through it. It's a simple sentence. We get a new perspective sent on a mission of reconciliation representing Jesus and his kingdom because of the cross. Just a simple sentence in four points. We'll look through that today. Number one, real simple, we get a new perspective. What's the new view, the new perspective that we get here? It's found in verse 16 in particular. It says this, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Some translations say we don't know anyone from a worldly point of view. In other words, we don't see people the way the world would have us to see people. Even today, the world's trying to shape us into seeing one another differently than God intended us to see. And now we learn that from now on, therefore, and it's therefore is tying it into that which is before, how we no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised, Right, it says, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. goes on to say, even if we regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. In other words, we've come to understood, if we maybe misunderstood who Jesus was, now we understand him rightly. We don't regard him according to the flesh or from a worldly point of view. So this is really key. It starts with, we need a new way to look at the world because we're followers of Jesus. We get a new set of lenses through which we see the world because we're a follower of Jesus. But verse 17 is also worth noting. Verse 17 says, therefore, you'll see a lot of tying in together in this passage, a lot of therefores or in light of or all this is from. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is new creation. The old is passed away. Behold, the new has come. Now here's 2 Corinthians 5.17. If you've been a Christian for a while, somewhere along the way, you've actually heard this verse. You may even have it on a plaque or a magnet or something. It's a verse that many Christians treasure and memorize that they are new in Christ, that, that they've been changed by the power of the gospel, and in Christ there is new creation. But it's also worth noting that the therefore ties these things together. So there is a, uh, a new life right? We've got this new life. We put off the old, we put on the new. There's a new life, but it's connected to a new look, new lenses through which we see the world. And the reality is we live in a very divided and contentious time. And if there's anything that Christians need right now is not to rush into the way the world relates to one another. Because right now the world is divided and contentious and we've born into this time, but we don't have to join into the division. We don't get to choose when we're born and when we live for Christ, but we get to choose whether we will represent him well. And so here it says, again, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Why? Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, there's new creation. A new life in Christ has given up a new look, new lenses through which we see the world. And this matters for a lot of different ways because we need some gospel-centered ways of looking at the world, some, some God-centered ways, some God-centered and gospel-centered lenses make the difference. And that new life gives us that new look, new lenses through which we see the world. Now, you've seen me touch my glasses a few times. I need glasses to, uh, to see. I remember the first time my mother told me that I needed glasses. She said, um, she called me Eddie, and you may not, and she said, uh, Eddie... Eddie, you gotta, you gotta wear new glasses, you gotta wear glasses. And I was just mortified because kids with glasses were, were nerds. And so I didn't want to be a nerd, even though I really was already. So I said to my mom, Mom, the kids are gonna make fun of me. And she said, she assured me that the kids would not make fun of me. And I said, But mom, I gotta wear an eye patch. She's got a lazy eye, I gotta wear an eye patch. She said, No, no, 
they'll just see you as a pirate, is what she told me. I learned that day that my mom didn't always tell me the truth about uh, how things would work, because I was ruthlessly mocked, uh, called Four Eyes and More. Now, again, um, if maybe today you're thinking, well, gosh, you know, I, my kids are here, and you know, they, they might have to wear glasses, and you just ruined that for them. Let me, let me update you kind of on how things are today when it comes to the glasses, because I have, I have three daughters. Uh, they are 14, 17, and 20. That's both a statement of my reality and a desperate prayer request. Um, so... So, and you can pray for me and with me. And what a blessing too. I love my three girls. But um, so my youngest comes home with mom. Donna is my wife. And, and Donna comes and she kind of pulls me aside. She says, Ed, listen, um, Caitlin's going to have to wear glasses. And I'm, <gasps> and she's, she's like, no, no. So she tells me separately so I won't overreact. I'm like me overreact. How could that be? And so, um, so she tells me this. So I go to Caitlin and I say, listen, sweetie, um, I hear that you're going to have to wear glasses. And I say, it's no big deal. It's not going to be a big deal at all. And so she, um, she actually, she's, she's 13 at the time, it was a year ago, so she kind of um, talks to me in that tone of voice that often middle school girls refer to their fathers, and she says, Dad, I mean really it was appropriate and respectful, but Dad, kids today, they wear glasses, glasses are cool now. And I'm, and I'm like, seriously? And she's, oh yeah, yeah, people go to stores and they buy glasses without prescriptions so they can wear them because they're that cool. And I was like, no. Because, I mean, part of me is like, I'm so glad for her, but I'm so bitter about the time in which I was born. And she's, no, it's true. And I said, wow. Well, see, I don't wear my glasses for, for fashion. I wear my glasses for seeing. Uh, and so, so this is important because if this passage is reminding us we need new lenses, the word I'm using, new lenses through which to see the world, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. We've got a new life. We've got a new look, new lenses through which we see the world. If that's the case, then ultimately these lenses need to be, well, the right lenses for our time. Now, the reality is, is that sometimes our lenses kind of in a tumultuous time, they get bounced around. That's why I adjust my glasses. I'm talking and I move my head and my glasses slide down and slide them back on. And yet, for many of us, we forget that in the time of division in which we live, we might have to adjust these gospel-centered glasses, make sure they're on right so we see the world rightly. Because the reality is, don't miss this, because we got a whole generation of people now being discipled by their cable news choices. They're being spiritually shaped by their social media feed, and the way they're relating to others is not looking like Jesus, but looking a lot like the world and how the world relates to other parts of the world. That's not our call. What the Bible says is, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. If anyone's in Christ, there's new creation, new life, a new look, new lenses. So my my lenses that I wear, again, I don't wear them for fashion, I wear them for seeing, but I did get a comment on them not that long ago. I'm the interim teaching pastor of uh, Moody Church in downtown Chicago, so normally I preach there. And I've been there for three years now, which is uh, coming up on three years in just a couple of months. And which, uh, which is actually longer than three of their actual pastors were pastors of Moody Church. So the interim is going a long time. But one of the things that happens when you're, the, when you're at a church like Moody, Moody is this older historic church, 150 years old, that has had a lot of people over the decades in and out of that church because where it is, people go to school, maybe a Moody Bible Institute, or maybe they live in Chicago for a few years. So, um, so it's interesting because people follow this church around the world. They watch it online. They watch it on Facebook Live now, or they watch it on, you know, Moody Online. And, and sometimes they send letters. And, and it's fascinating because they send encouraging letters. They send suggestion letters. They send 
other kind of letters as well. So I mean, let, me, let, me, uh, let me read one of the other kind of letters that I got uh, here at Moody Church. This is actual, unedited. These are the actual words in the letter that I received. Here's what it says. I listened to your August 13th sermon at Moody Church online. After listening to it once, right, that's good, listen twice, right, I listened again because I was awestruck, praise God, with the number of times you adjusted your glasses while preaching. (laughs) So the second time I listened, I saw in the first 36 minutes of your sermon, you adjust your glasses 74 times. And then you took them off, so I counted no further. He says, this was an average, got a calculator, got a cal- this was an average of once every 30 seconds, he writes. But keep in mind, this is an incomplete count because some of the time scripture or your sermon was on the screen and I could not see you. <laughs> I tell you this in Christian love. unedited email. Because I know you're interested in being aware of anything that may distract listeners from hearing what you're preaching. So I hope you will accept this knowing I want your ministry to be as effective for Christ as possible. Now here's the thing. I actually watched the video and I touch my glasses a lot. So I actually made changes on the basis of this email, right? I bought a product from, I saw it on Shark Tank called Nerd Wax, and you put it on your glasses to keep some in place. Now, I already saw two of you turn to your spouse and say, I'm going to count how many times he touches his glasses and tell him, don't do that. Nobody likes that guy. Don't be that guy, right? So, but here's the deal. I don't adjust my glasses because for fashion, I adjust them to see, because right now you're gone. Now you're back. Now, why? Because I want you not to miss this. Man, we live in a time when we're being, in the midst of the world, pulled from side to side. We're being taught to see people for whom Jesus died as people that we should speak of in ways that don't honor the very Christ who died for them. And it's very easy to be drawn into that. And social media can be that place. I just get, I get drawn into this. And, and, and Ed, can I just say what I want? Can I, can I, I'm an, I'm an American. I can just say what I, of course you can. People say to me, well, somebody just say really mean things because I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to be frank. And I was like, listen, if your name's not Frank, stop. And if your name's Frank, do it under the Lordship of Jesus. See, for all of us, part of the challenge is, is that we live in a time that's divided and the question is, will we be those sent on mission by Jesus who recognize that we need a new perspective? We've got a new life, verse 17. New lenses, new, a new look, new lenses through which we see the world, verse 16. So number one, we get a new perspective. Number two, sent on a mission of reconciliation. Number one, we get a new perspective. Number two, sent on a mission of reconciliation. Verse 18 and 19, notice how many times the word reconcile is used in one form or another. It says this, speaking of reconciliation, all this is from God, tightly connected this passage, That'll make, I'll express that more in a minute, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled, there's one, reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, there's two. Now, now it's going to sound like I'm repeating myself because the passage is, that is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them 
and is entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So four times in two verses almost sounds repetitive when you read it, but it's what's called a parallelism. In the New Testament writers would sometimes use that for a greater emphasis to draw attention to this reality. We don't want you to miss it, so we're saying it twice so you don't miss it. So it says that God's reconciling the world to himself. Before that, it says through Christ he reconciled us to himself. And it says that we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. And it says we've been given the message of reconciliation. So if you didn't get it, reconciliation is central to this passage and this mission. Now this really matters because the reminder here is that we've received reconciliation and then we have the ministry and the message of reconciliation. Now, if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, you've been reconciled to God through Christ. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, and God in Christ had made you alive. And because of that, you've been reconciled to God, forgiven of your sins, given a new life, given a new relationship. And this passage doesn't just say, thank God for that. It says, thank God for that. And now you're entrusted the ministry and the message of reconciliation. So I don't want you to miss this. This goes back 2,000 years because somebody told you. And somebody told that person, somebody told that person, and 2,000 years ago, Jesus said to his disciples, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. It's called the Great Commission. And they made a disciple, they made a disciple, they made a disciple, and 2,000 years later, somebody told you. Somebody who is reconciled told you about this reconciliation, and if you're a follower of Christ, you have been reconciled to him in Christ. So don't you miss this, because there's this great commission highway that goes back 2,000 years, reconciled, reconciled, agent of reconciliation, reconciled, and we can look back from the end of that highway and thank God for 2,000 years of people sharing the good news of the gospel. But the question is, will we also look forward, and will we go forward with the sharing of the gospel today? You know, I was, uh, I've been living here a little, almost uh, three years now, in a month or so, it'll be my third year. And as I mentioned, I just live four blocks from here, and I love watching some of you walk to church in the morning, and, and it's nice, a little jealous, because you can't walk to Moody Church, I can assure you. Um, can't even train to Moody Church, you just, it's just a long ways, but I, I love watching some of you walk by. Um, and I love the impact that College Church has had here, and I know there's gospel work that's been supported by this church around the world, but it is also interesting, and I recognize that, you know, partly because of my role and my position, I teach, I teach uh, you know, at Wheaton College, I teach evangelism, among other things. But, you know, I've been here three years, and only one person has tried to start a spiritual conversation with me. And maybe that's because they assume that Wheaton's all believers now, right? You maybe heard that before. Can I tell you? Uh, I heard that when I came here, and then I moved into my neighborhood, and I got lots of pagans around me and a couple of members of college church. I'll let you decide which is which of the, between those two. I got lots of people who don't know Jesus around me. So that, let me tell you about the time somebody shared the gospel with Donna and, my, and me, and we were actually going to Florida last February, and we were going to Florida. I was going to Florida at a conference, and whenever February and Florida are in the same sentence, Donna's like, I'm going with you. And so we're going to Florida, and just for a few days, and we call Uber to come pick us up. So we put an Uber, the Uber driver shows up, and we get in the car, and as we do, our Uber driver, well, let me tell you what we see when we walk in, right? So we get in the car, and Donna on her side, I'm on my side, and our Uber driver says, you know, if you need a charger for your phone, um, if you need any water, they're in the back of the seats, and if you want to just take anything you want from the middle, where she had some candy put out and, an, and a strategically placed pocket New Testament. So we knew we were about to have an experience, that the, 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 this was going to be a, a new opportunity. So, so I kind of looked at Donna, and I, and I said, let's just roll with this for a little while. I just gave her the look, and so she's with me on this. And so, so Jane's her name, Jane the Uber driver, and Jane starts talking to 
to us. And she starts, you know, innocuously enough, uh, you know, how long you lived here? Well, at that time it was two years. Uh, you know, uh, where are you from? I was, grew up outside of New York City on Long Island, and Donna's from Canada. And so we just had these conversations as we went. And then she, and then she asked some uh, questions that I could quickly turn, because I didn't want to give away that I might have a passion for evangelism. And so she asked at one point, so, well, well, what do you do? And so I quickly said, well, I'm a teacher. What do you do? Turned it around before I told her what or where I taught. And, and she said, well, I, I'm a realtor usually, and sometimes I drive Uber because I like to meet new people. And I said, well, that's great. And so we talked for a while until finally she asked a question that really kind of tested. I couldn't really go any longer with covering up, right? So she said, so do you guys have any like spiritual beliefs or any religious background? And Donna looks at me and says, you have to tell her. And so, because uh, she's the godly one. And so I'm like, okay. So I say, Jane, actually, yes, Jane, we, we do. So I'm actually a professor at Wheaton College. I teach evangelism. You are doing so great right now. Um, and she, she, she said, no. We said, yes. And so, so, I, so, so we like had this worship service there, you know, I don't know. So we, uh, I took out my phone. I said, Jane, can I like interview you right now? And she said, sure. We had 15 more minutes to the airport. So if you Google Jane the Uber driver, you'll find this interview I did with her. It got picked up all over, and, and it was super fun, and where she takes this job. She goes to, goes to Community Fellowship Church uh, over in West Chicago. She does this in her spare time. She says, it's a great opportunity for me to witness to people. I, love, I said, I love this story. So, I, um, so, so we got to the airport, flew down to Florida, and the next morning before I spoke at this meeting, we got the news that Mr. Billy Graham had died. Of course, some of you remember that day. It's one of those days, where were you when? And got the news, Mr. Graham had died. And, and so that meant a lot of things. We had to change a lot of things. I had to cancel some things because we needed to write some things and do some interviews. And fast forward a little over a week, and the funeral was in Charlotte, North Carolina. And we gathered there at the funeral. And before the funeral, the funeral, many of you saw it. It was, it was uh, often called Mr. Graham's Last Crusade. All around the world, the gospel was preached. His life and legacy was told. But so someone comes up to me right before the funeral. And it's a reporter from the New York Times. I know her. Her name's Lori. And Lori says to me, she asked me a couple of questions about Mr. Graham. And, and so I answered best I could. You know, at the Billy Graham Center, we've got some history. We tell a little about history. And then she asked me, who's the next Billy Graham? Now, that's kind of a common question, and there's really not an answer to it because no one in the family says they're the next Billy Graham, and, and uh, no, I don't know anybody who would dare to put on their website, I'm the next Billy Graham, or anything like that. There is really, he was a man of his time and of his day, and God used him in unique and powerful ways. So, but I was ready for the question, so she said, who's the next Billy Graham? I said, Jane the Uber driver. <laughs> and she looked at me with this puzzled look, and I explained to her, and she said, that's an awesome story, but it's not making the New York Times. But the reality is, is that's in a sense what we're saying, right? So, and Billy Graham wouldn't say the next Billy Graham, but Billy Graham was too on this great commission highway. He had been reconciled to God in Christ under the preaching of somebody by the name of Mordecai Ham. But somebody told him, and somebody told him, and somebody told her, and him, and her, and her, all the way back to that very beginning. So Jane the Uber driver is continuing that legacy that Mr. Graham modeled, but was not the source of. Where's the source? It's right here. We have been reconciled to be agents of reconciliation. I'm reconciled to God through Christ, now given the ministry and the message of reconciliation. And it's a great commission highway that goes back 2,000 years. And what I'm asking of you today is don't let your life be a cul-de-sac on that great commission highway. They say, Ed, I don't, I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to share the gospel I'm afraid of. it. listen, I, Josh encouraged me to share with you that um, 
you know, just next door, we have in the end of June the Amplify Conference. It's the gathering together of people across, well, around the world talking about how to share the gospel more faithfully and fruitfully. And I'm happy. If you want to come, I'm, I'm outside. I'm going to greet outside right out those doors. If you want to come, I'll, and I'll, I'll send you along a, a code. You can come for free. We'd love to just have you because of our partnership with College Church. Uh, we just think ultimately that the name and fame of Jesus needs more people concerned about proclaiming the name and fame of Jesus. I don't miss this because here it lays it out, right? We've been reconciled to be agents of reconciliation. And how do we do that? We do that by hearing the words of Scripture that we have been given. Now we've been reconciled, now given the ministry and the message of reconciliation. Number one, we get a new perspective. Number two, sent on a mission of reconciliation. Number three, representing Jesus and his kingdom. Representing Jesus and his kingdom. Back to the text, verse 20 says, Therefore... Remember, whenever you see in the Bible a therefore, you ask, what's it there for? It's tying together the verses, right? So what just took place, we've been reconciled, now given the ministry and message of reconciliation. In light of that, or therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Certain, we're ambassadors for Christ, it says. And being ambassadors for Christ, God's making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Reconciled fifth time in three verses do we hear the word reconciled. Now, if we at normally call church, we go through books of the Bible, and if we were doing that, then at this point we would have explained a little more of the background here, and we'd know that Paul's actually defending his apostleship here in verse 20. He's actually referring specifically to himself when he says, uh, we are ambassadors. He's referring to himself and this band of missionaries that he's with. But for 2,000 years, Christians have looked at this and said, hey, that's us too, because they recognize that we too represent Jesus and his kingdom. They look at verses like in Colossians where Paul writes, we have been transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. So if citizens, then ambassadors, representatives of Jesus and his kingdom here today. And that kingdom would be such a priority that Matthew 6, would say, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will, will be provided for you. These things will be okay if you prioritize first the kingdom. So the idea of an ambassador, you know, I grew up on Long Island outside of New York City. When we went into Manhattan, we would see ambassadors on the east side, and they'd drive these cool cars with flags on the front of them of their nations of origin. They'd drive, they could park anywhere they wanted. At the time, they didn't have to pay parking tickets because they were immune from the laws, the local laws. I thought, what a great job that would be to be an ambassador. But it wasn't such an easy job back then. Matter of fact, it wasn't such a job back then for a lot of different reasons, but one of the reasons is, is how Paul describes himself as an ambassador. Only on two occasions does Paul refer to himself as an ambassador. Actually, there's only two uses of the word ambassador in our English Bibles. Here in 2 Corinthians 5.20, but also in Ephesians chapter 6. Let me read it to you rather than us turning to it for the sake of time. Ephesians chapter 6, 19 and 20 says this, Pray also for me, Paul's asking for prayer, that the message may be given to me when I open my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. Listen to the words, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I might be bold enough in him to speak as I should. So Paul's ambassadorial service would be here defending his apostleship in 2 Corinthians or being chained to a wall in a prison where he's still praying for boldness to share and preach the gospel. Now probably None of us here will end up chained in a prison for our boldness to preach the gospel. But who knows? 
I mean, who knows? We actually uh, just over a week ago had our graduation ceremony over just across the street at Wheaton College, and there our commencement speakers were uh, Andrew and Noreen Brunson. And maybe you heard the name Andrew Brunson because he was on the lips of many and on the new, nightly news more than once, for he was a missionary there serving in Turkey, pastoring a church in Izmir, and he was arrested one day on trumped-up charges. And as a matter of fact, President Reichen, who's a member here at the church, got up and introduced him as the commencement speaker, as our commencement speaker today, is a convicted terrorist. Because he was falsely convicted, but a convicted terrorist. And so up on Trump charges he was, and there he was in a Turkish prison for two years. And in the commencement speech, he talked to us about some of the challenges of that. Back, actually, he talked about how he broke more than once in that Turkish prison. And yet he sought and prayed for strength. And much like Paul, he would pray, give me boldness to speak as I should. He sought to be a witness to his jailers, to his captors, to his persecutors. And then within 48-hour time frame, he went from being in a Turkish prison to being in the Oval Office. And if you saw that video, he he asked the president if he could kneel down next to him and pray. And millions upon millions watched as Andrew Brunson's witness went from a Turkish prison to the Oval Office in just a short two days. Now, I don't want you to miss this, because you don't know when you'll have that opportunity, but if it's your heart's desire to engage in that opportunity, you will say, Lord, I'm an ambassador for Christ. Give me place and space to show and share the love of Jesus. And I'm pretty sure you won't end up in prison with it, though you might find some people don't like it so much. Some people might be irritated or might reject it. But can I just tell you, if Paul can pray in a prison, pray for me that I may be given boldness as an ambassador in chains. I think we too can pray, God, give me boldness at my workplace and in my family and in my neighborhood and in my home. And I join with you as I'm intentionally engaging my neighbors to share the good news of the gospel with my neighbors who don't know the Lord. I join with you that we might show and share the love of Jesus in DuPage County and around the whole world. So, number one, we get a new perspective. Number two, sent on a mission of reconciliation. Number three, representing Jesus and his kingdom. And fourth and finally, because of the cross, because of the cross. Now, because of the cross points to verse 21 in my outline, but let me just say to you that verse 21 seems an odd part of this whole passage, because if you're looking through verses 16 through 21, matter of fact, if you have one of our pew Bibles, you'll notice that it's actually an indented section. It's one paragraph, but you look at verse 21, and boy, it sure doesn't seem like the other verses. Let me read it to you. For our sake, it says, for our sake, I don't want to change of tone here. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, the first verse was how we see other people. Uh, first points there were, were, you know, we've got this new life, this new look, new lenses through which we see the world. And then we're reconciled to be agents of reconciliation. And then we're, what does it mean to be an ambassador for Christ, like Paul speaks of himself and the band of missionaries? And then it's like a whole change of thought. He made him to be sin who knew no sin. Well, let's, let's break down the pronouns so we know what's going on here. He, the first he here, is God. God made him, that's Jesus. God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin. So God the Son, God has always been God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So God the Son is born Jesus the Christ, the sinless holy God the Son is born Jesus the Christ, lives a sinless life, dies on the cross for our sin and in our place, and yet something happens on the cross that's significant. 
Now, we know from Isaiah 53, 6, the promise, it goes like this, all we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. So we know that on Jesus, our sin was placed. But what this passage tells us, it's more than simply that our sin was placed. Listen again to the words. He made him to be sin who knew no sin. So God made Jesus to be sin. He died a sinner's death. Now, he wasn't a sinner. He died a sinner's death. His his life was substituted for mine. He took upon himself as a substitution the penalty of my sin. I was, and you were, estranged, dead in our trespasses and sins, and our sin is taken on Jesus, and he takes the wrath as a substitute. He was made sin, not a sinner, but sin for us, right? Sin was imputed to him. Now, this is a technical theological word, imputation. Will you say that out loud with me? Imputation. Let's say it again. Imputation. I believe if you can learn to order coffee at Starbucks, you can learn theological language at church. I don't know what a venti latte is, but I love the word imputation. So imputation is a banking word from the first century. It's like the word deposit, right? So our sin, right, was deposited in him. It was deposited in him. But don't miss the rest of the verse. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So here's the other part of that, right? So my sin imputed or deposited in him. Your sin imputed or deposited in him. And his righteousness deposited and imputed to me. So when God looks to me, he doesn't see my sin. He doesn't see my foolishness and my faults. He sees Jesus' righteousness. See, when I get that, when I understand what's happened on the cross, then the rest of this passage makes more sense. It's not be nicer to other people. It's not see them through happier eyes. It's not try to be nice to them so they can come to church. It's it's not ultimately represent Jesus and be like an ambassador passing out flyers. It's because of the cross. I got a new life. I got a new look. I got new lenses through which I need to see the world. It's because of the cross I've been reconciled. Now I've given the ministry and message of reconciliation. It's because of the cross that I'm made a citizen and thus an ambassador for Christ. So the last part of the verse actually explains the rest of the passage. It's not done in my try harder approach. It's ultimately when Jesus died on the cross, when we see him cry out, Eloi, Eloi, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I know he took my sin in himself. And because of the joy of that reality, I get a new perspective sent on a mission of reconciliation, representing Jesus and his kingdom because of the cross. Would you pray with me? Father, we acknowledge today by your grace and your goodness, you have redeemed us, called us by name, sent us on a mission for your name's sake. Father, I thank you for how you've been at work in College Church and how you continue to work in College Church. I thank you for some of my neighbors in this very room who have prayed with me for some other neighbors who need to know Christ. Father, I pray that we might live as those who acknowledge that because of the cross, because my sin was imputed to Christ and his righteousness imputed to me and to us, because of the cross, I can can get a new set of lenses. I can see the world the way Jesus would have me to see it. I get a new life, a new look, new lenses through which I see the world. Lord, I can acknowledge again and thank you for 
that you have reconciled me to God in Christ. But Father, remind me that I've been given the ministry and the message of reconciliation. Just with your head bowed and your eyes closed, I wonder if you might just even pray with me, Lord, don't let my life be a cul-de-sac on the Great Commission Highway. As I've been reconciled, remind me I've been given the, the ministry and the message of reconciliation to represent Jesus and his kingdom as a citizen and, yes, as an ambassador because of the cross. For it's in Jesus' name and for his sake we pray. Amen.